I'll read the first seven verses once more. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And I think that's so important there to know that the New Testament cannot stand alone. It must be tied in with the Old Testament. Otherwise, we do not have the Christ who is the Son of God. He must be the divinely prophesied of one. And the Old Testament is filled with prophecies of the coming of the Messiah, the Savior. And uh, there's a tract out. I know that it has 33 prophecies fulfilled in a day. You may have seen it. And... uh, It has references from the Old Testament, and then most of them are filled in Matthew. Matthew being the first book of the New Testament, most all of the Old Testament prophecies you can find fulfilled in the book of Matthew. Now, not all, of course, because Revelation will fill some, Paul will have something to say, Peter has something to say in Acts. But by and large, Matthew, following the Old Testament, the first one is the book of the promised Messiah so that we lead right from the Old Testament into Matthew so it was promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures as a matter of fact Jesus says concerning himself in the volume of the book it is written of me in other words we shall find Christ in every place we look in the Old Testament in the types and shadows in the sacrifices in the law of ordinances, in everything, we will find Jesus Christ. He is there. And we're to know this, that this is from the old into the new, that the Messiah was prophesied of, this divine Son that should come, this divine Redeemer that should come, this divine Lamb of God that should come, that he might shed his blood, for the sins of the whole world. And that all the world is gathered in, you see, by Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He's the great Redeemer, the one who cleanses anyone here. If you are saved today, it's because the blood of Christ has cleansed you from sin. Christ paid the penalty for your death, for your sins, and you know that his death was sufficient for your sins. It's the only basis of redemption. has nothing to do with being a Baptist has nothing to do with being any sectarian group. It has to be on the basis, and I have to make that very clear, because there are little sectarian groups and groups here and there who kind of think they got the keys. I have to say that. Uh, but I would remind you that the key is Jesus Christ and him alone. There's no other key. There's a personal relationship to Jesus. Don't ever let anyone tell you that they've got the corner, all right, on heaven that uh, it's the only way you can get in. And you'll meet groups here and there coming to your door and others who will tell you, we've got the only road, and if you don't come our way, you can't get in. Well, praise be to the Lord that it isn't that way. I'm so thankful that it's just by simple, absolute, truthful faith in Jesus Christ. They that worship me must worship me in sincerity and truth, you see. And to know that this is the base upon which our faith stands. It's upon the base of Jesus Christ, the anointed Son of God, the anointed Redeemer of God, as his name means, the 
anointed Savior of God, Jesus Christ. And so we should praise God that it's from the Old into the New Testament concerning his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now just a few things this morning, and let's just have... A little word of prayer together as we open the word and ask the Lord to especially bless it to our hearts. This is the great book of redemption. And if ever I've prayed about the Lord using the message and the salvation of souls, it's whenever I pick up this book of Romans. Easter Sunday, even when I preach from other portions, this was on my heart that this gospel of God was revealed to us. And Though many souls found Christ in Easter Sunday, just remember, please, that all of the glory goes to Jesus, all right? This is the important thing. Pastor Gian can't be here forever, but Jesus can, right? Jesus will. And this is the key. Just remember this, that God's servants die and go to be with the Lord but the work of the Lord goes on we've had the greatest servants die haven't we it always amazes me how we get to think we could be indispensable doesn't it none of us are indispensable we're all dispensable God always has somebody you see that's there in the wings that God has to place in a place of ministry and so I'm so joyous today that I can believe that no matter what happened to me in this congregation, if the Lord took me home at any time, that this congregation is so solidly based upon their faith in Jesus Christ that they would be able to discern immediately another man who came and preached from this pulpit, that it was the glorious good news of Jesus Christ and his blood that cleanses us from all sin. The only means of redemption the tender love of a loving God. So let's just have a word of prayer. Father, we thank thee for thy blessed word and pray you'll bless it to our hearts this morning in these few minutes we have together. Feed us upon that bread which came down from heaven. We're so thankful that if a man eats thereof, he shall never hunger. Jesus said, if a man drinks of the water, I shall give him. He'll never thirst again. And so, Lord, we pray for satisfaction of hearts today in that they know that Christ is the bread of life and that he came that he might lay down his life for our sins. And that to all those that believe on him, truly believe on him as the Savior from sin, this is eternal life. Bless us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. You notice it says that he came of David's seed according to the flesh. The Old Testament prophesied of such a 
Messiah that should come. I've gone over that in our Christmas times together. And uh, the New Testament prophesies and speaks of it in the uh, early part. Matthew being, or John the Baptist being the last of the Old Testament prophets, remember, comes right in and he's the one that points to Jesus. Remember that John the Baptist is an Old Testament prophet and that he points to Jesus as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And all of the scripture is pointing to this one that we love so much. And he came of the seed of David. Isaiah 9, 6 puts it well, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And then notice the seventh verse. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David. And you'll notice here that Paul right away, we might say, well, why doesn't Paul go all the way back like the record of his birth in the gospel record? Why doesn't he go all the way back to Adam? Well, what Paul wants to establish is that this relationship is to David the king. For he must be of the tribe of Judah. He must be of David the king. And both lineages, if you read Matthew and Luke, you find that the lineage to Jesus Christ, one of them, when you hit David, you find two sons. In one, the son is Nathan, and in the other, the son is Solomon. So that the two records point to Jesus Christ. Now, there was Joseph and Mary, and one came through Nathan's line, and the other came through Solomon's line. So that the two of them were of the lineage of David, so that there never would be any argument as to Christ's right legally to the Jewish nation to be their king. And God made sure by tracing it in Matthew and Luke, and you can trace it down for yourself. And the minute you get to David, you see that the both Gospels differ. One says Nathan's line is here, and the other said Solomon's line is here. And the lines run down then to the birth of Jesus Christ. But God is making sure that legally the lineage of Jesus Christ and titles him to the throne of David. And then over in Luke 132, it says this, And the Lord God shall give him the throne of his father David. Now, there have been commentators who have tried to say that Isaiah 9, 6 has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. Well, this proves that it has to do with Jesus Christ. There are those who would like to take Isaiah and cast the whole book out and say it's not part of the, of the Bible itself. But this is saying that he is of the lineage of David. And that we can know that this same one that Isaiah spoke about, he shall inherit the throne of David, is the same one here, and the Lord God shall give him the throne of his father David in Luke one thirty-two. And then in Revelation 22:16, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto these things in the churches. 
I am the root and offspring of David and the bright and the morning star. You see? So we get down to the last book of the Bible and we find Jesus referring to himself as the very seed of David so that the throne, that kingdom which is yet to come, at the, the end of his government, there shall be no end of, the, of his government, as Isaiah 9, 6 tells us. The government shall be upon his shoulder. Unto us a child is born, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And yet all these names apply to the Son who should be born. So that Jesus Christ, there can be no doubt between here and Luke and Revelation that this is the one. And although all the modernist commentators, a great body of them, will take this and tear it out and say, no, this has no reference to Jesus Christ. It has a reference to the day that it was written, and that's all. And yet we see here, Jesus says in Hebrews, in the volume of the book, it is written of me, so that we can know that this king who is yet to come and rule this earth in righteousness and holiness, he's coming to rule this very earth that we're upon, and he shall occupy the throne of David and be king of kings, as Timothy says, and lord of lords and the only high potentate over all the earth. This is what the earth is looking forward to. So the scripture here is very clear as to Jesus being of the lineage of David. Matthew and Luke's record tied in with Isaiah, tied in with Revelation, and many other scriptures clarify for us perfectly that this was the one mentioned aforetime in scriptures. The gospel of God as revealed in Jesus Christ and him alone. There is no other gospel. There's no other means of salvation. There's no other religion in all the earth that has salvation to offer because there's only one God who made heaven and earth and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and there's no other way to the Father except by Jesus Christ. Jesus says that it's an impossibility. No man can come to the Father except by me. So we can have absolutely no doubt. We can clear away all the cobwebs of our mind. We can chase out all the religions of men because we have one who has power because he arose from the dead. And that's exactly what the scripture says. See, notice as you go on. Declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Now we just passed Easter Sunday a short few weeks ago. But he was marked out as the son of God in great power. Great power. The miracle power of the Godhead followed him wherever he went. Whether it was a matter of his healing power, whether it was a matter of the power over the winds and the sea, whether it was a matter of raising the dead, everything responded to him. Nature responded to him. All he had to say to the sea was, be still. He walked on the water, raised the dead, healed the sick. Wherever he went, power was manifest in him. 
before his resurrection it was power because of his holiness. For he was without sin. His holiness was the witness of his power. And then when he arose from the dead, his power came into full bloom. His power was not fully manifested until he arose from amongst the dead. Then we came to know what that power really meant. Now, that power had tremendous implications for all of us. If you think of the power that is involved in the resurrection of the dead and what it means to you and to me, because without Christ risen, the, the Scripture says, we have no hope. We are of all men most miserable if Christ be not risen from the dead. There's no forgiveness of sins. It's an impossibility to have for sins forgiven without a risen Savior who ever lives to make intercession for us. He has assured us, he says, Behold, I am he that was dead, and I am alive forevermore so that we know that we have a risen Savior. And that resurrection has great power to you and to me. Number one, that resurrection means that you can be sure your sins are forgiven. You never would know your sins are forgiven unless Christ arose from the dead. Anybody could have said this and died. But here it says he was declared to be the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead. So that you can know that the condemnatory power that was against us, we were all under the curse, all sinners, none righteous, no, not one. He's the only perfect, holy one, the righteous one. And he had to be that to be the Lamb of God, the perfect one. And he shed his blood to cleanse us from sin. But we can know that this is true only because he arose from the dead. And the condemnation is removed from us completely. How do we know this? Because we're told by Paul that he suffered death for every man that he might bring us to God. Christ Jesus died for sinners. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but yet not I, but Christ lives in me. It's the death of Christ. He died and we died with him. And beloved, remember, if you have died with Christ, can the law ever judge a dead man? Of course not. I care not what the crimes may be against a man who's held in the docket or in the jail to appear before a judge. If he dies in the jail, the charges are dropped. And Christ died and I died with him. I am crucified with Christ. In that he died, he died unto sin once. Romans 6. And in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Wherefore reckon yourselves also to be dead unto what? Sin. But alive unto God. Dead to sin. Why? 
because Hebrews tells us he has taken the law of ordinances which was against us and has nailed it to the cross, thereby taking it out of the way. That's Colossians. Hebrews, there is verily a disannulling of the commandments which went before because of the unprofitableness or the unprofitableness thereof. For the Lord, for the law could make nothing perfect, but the coming in of a better hope did. Forgive me if my words stumble a little this morning. I happen to have an abscess in one of my front teeth, and my jaw is swollen down here, so you'll forgive me for that. But this is the great message of God to us. Sin can no longer condemn a dead man. And if you really know Jesus, you died with him, and you arose with him. And all he has to say now is now you're risen with him. Can sin condemn you anymore? You are risen with me. You are already seated with me in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, Ephesians. You can know with absolute assurity that you belong to him. This gives joy to the heart and contentment to the heart so that, beloved, no matter what the problems are of life, you can face the problem because of the assurance that you have in Jesus Christ. You can't face the burdens that you have to face in everyday life unless your life is absolutely free from worry of the fear of death and the fear of sin's judgment. It must be absolutely taken care of. And if we think any less of the salvation of Jesus Christ and that which he wrought on the cross of Calvary when he says he paid the penalty of death for every man that he might bring us to God, we do desperate to the grace of God and his sovereign will. He is sovereign in how he made his salvation. And his salvation is by grace through faith without anything, as Martin Luther said. And this is the joy of our hearts, that we can know that sins are forgiven, that Christ risen justifies us, just as if I had not sinned. Now this is a tremendous thing. The whole thing in Paul's work is forensic. It means that has to do with the law. Paul was a lawyer, and he's presenting his case in such a wonderful way so that we know that sins are forgiven. There was none righteous, no, not one. Every single one had to come the same way. Each one had to come and ask for forgiveness. It's personal. It's between you and Jesus Christ and you two alone. And so that resurrection means that Christ Jesus is alive from the dead and his saviorhood has been established and it is the only saviorhood upon all the face of the earth, yea, and all the universe. There is no other one. The salvation wrought on the cross of Calvary, may I say this very carefully, if there were some place in this earth where there were beings of some character, that salvation wrought on this little planet is sufficient for the universe because that salvation took in the whole cosmos and there will be great changes take place in heaven and in earth at the coming of the Lord Jesus. So tremendous things can happen to us. 
On the other hand, the resurrection of Jesus Christ guarantees some other things which aren't so palatable. The resurrection of Jesus Christ and his word assure us of this, that there's coming a judgment but that he is able to remove his own from the wrath to come. Now may I say this as clearly as I can, the wrath of God will never fall on his son again. It fell once on Jesus, he paid the penalty for sin, God turned his face away when Jesus became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, not in ourselves. Tremendous, with thrilled and joy in heart in knowing this. But beloved, he's coming back for his own to that we shall escape the wrath which is to come. The wrath of God could no more fall on us than it could fall on Jesus. If Jesus dwells in your heart by faith, then if the wrath of God could fall upon you, it would be falling once more upon his Son because his indwelling presence in your breast, he indwells you. You are part and parcel of the Trinity. Father and Son, and who do you have your fellowship through? The Holy Ghost. The third person of the Trinity dwells in your heart. Can you imagine the Father casting his wrath upon the Holy Spirit? Ridiculous. He'll never do this. And so he has told us we will escape the wrath which is to come. But beloved, with all of that and all the fact that we're going to escape this coming holocaust which will hit and fall upon all this earth, and our beloved, I can't say how terrible it will be it will be far beyond anything we possibly can conceive of this present moment. Little flesh shall live on the face of the earth, God says, unless those days be shortened. Little flesh. Israel will suffer greatly. But God is taking his own out before that terrible time. And then from the pavilions of heaven, they will look down upon this earth, which is going under terrible, terrible judgment. For they are going to come with him, and they're going to reign with him one day upon this earth. As king of kings and lord of lords, for a thousand years his own children will be with him, reigning over the earth. But that terrible time that is coming, if only we could just get a little sense of it. I often think if, if souls could hear how terrible it's going to be in that day, they'd understand why they should flee to Jesus right now, should drive them to the cross of Jesus Christ. He will deliver us from the wrath which is to come. That's 1 Thessalonians 1.10. 1 Thessalonians 5.9. God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. He that believeth on the Son, John 3, 36, hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, and the wrath of God abides on him. 
but not on us. Now this is tremendous joy to our heart. But to think of what we're going to escape, can I just ask you to turn with me for just a couple of minutes. Turn with me to the 16th chapter, I believe it is, of Revelation. 16th chapter of Revelation. Just to give you some idea of what's coming. Now, beloved, we hear everybody so concerned about, you know, the ecology. Everybody's so concerned about all that we hear. You know, every time there's a new car made, it gets worse. Every time a new power plant goes up, all we hear is arguments on Long Island whether we should get more power. Every time an animal's born, every time a new airplane is, is built, everything that's, doing, that's being done is adding to the ecology problem. And yet the problem, beloved, will never be cleared up. If anybody has any idea that by the efforts of man, we're going to clear up the sin conditions on the earth, the degradation of man, which some people still believe, and we're going to clear up the ecological problems and make this place a pure place to live by taking our little cartons of bottles and bringing them up, and this is fine now. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. Do all you can to make it a little better. But don't get an idea that you're going to make it pure. I can assure you the air in Malvern is never going to be pure. I can assure you that the air, as a matter of fact, I see that our cosmonauts or our astronauts, uh, while they're up there, have uh, noticed the different dust areas of the moon and then their exploration of Mars. They noticed the dust storms in Mars. And so now the scientists are figuring that what will happen to Earth? They're taking the dust storms of Mars and what's happened to Mars and they're going to compare it to the Earth and the problem of our smog and everything else. And how long will it take before the Earth will go back into an ice age? By the elimination of the sun's rays. Well, you and I know it's not going back to an ice age. Because the Lord says that in the last days it shall be enveloped by fire and there'll be a purging time, a purging time. But if the problems that we face today are so tremendous, and that's all we have to think of, all these tremendous problems that man has to face. And if you read the scientists, a hundred years will be a long time for this race to go on. So I can't help but believe that the Lord Jesus is coming soon. I don't know how soon, but I believe he's coming soon. If men get to that point, why when you used to talk about the second coming of Jesus to get this thing all cleaned up, Everybody looked at you like you'd flipped your lid. But, beloved, today, when you talk about the problems men have and the increasing perplexity of nations and the increasing problems of prosperity that looks like poverty in many areas, where we claim to be so prosperous and everybody is saying, well, I don't know, I'm prosperous, but it's just getting worse and worse. Conditions are getting worse and worse. There's perplexity. And Jesus said there would be great perplexity of nations. Now, if the problems of the ecology are so severe, I want you to notice what the Lord Jesus has to say here in Revelation 16 and see what the Word of God has to say. Revelation 16 has to do with the vile judgments of God. V-I-A-L. Vile judgments. Not V-I-L-A. Vile judgments of God. 
And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God. All right? What does it say about you and me? Are we going through the wrath of God? Somebody answer. No. We just read the verses. We read the verses that are very clear. We will not go through the wrath of God. Okay, here's the wrath of God. The vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth. And there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast and upon them which worshipped his image. And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea. Well, you know, we talk about uh, there's a little too much mercury in the fish. Well, maybe a little mercury is better than a bunch of dead fish. And that's what you got here, see. The second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man. And every living soul died in the sea. You know, I don't know. I read an article one time about how many fish there are in the sea. I can't remember it, honestly, but I compared it with the population of the earth, and we're pretty small by comparison. I can't quite imagine what it would be to have the stench of all the fish of the sea, and the sea turned, as it says here, it became as the blood, notice, of a dead man, the sea. And every living soul died in the sea. Now, isn't it great to know that the resurrection of Jesus Christ guarantees you you're not going to be here when this happens? I don't want to be here around this, uh, around this place and go down to Jones Beach and find the, the, the waters down there turned into blood. Do you? See, I take what the Word of God says. A lot of men try to translate this. Trouble with the translators is each translator is different. The theologians take it and one says, but this means that. But another theologian says, now you're wrong. This means that. I could well prove that by the book which my son edited, Bob, called Athens or Jerusalem. It's that thick. has to do with Dr. Van Til down at Westminster Seminary. Dr. Van Til has to stand alone against the theologian of great name and fundamental throughout the world. And each one is different in their opinion. Amazing. And yet these are all the theologians who get together they, and they, they take the attitude toward each other. You know, they love each other, see? They say, well, now, my brother, I love you, but I remember Dr. Van Til telling me when I was down to my son's graduation, he said he met Dr. Barth. You probably have heard the name Barth. Van Til said of Barth, Barth wrote faster than most men can think. Wrote volume upon volume upon volume. He disagreed completely with Barth on every area of redemption. But when Barth met him for the first time, and met Van Til, and he looked over at Dr. Van Til, and he just said to him, Ah, Dr. Van Til. And Dr. Van Til says, Dr. Barth. So Dr. Barth looks over at him, and he says, I know 
that everything I write you're against. But don't worry. I have forgiven you. You'll get into heaven. Great to know we're going to escape the wrath which is to come. Notice this, in this portion of Revelation 16, it says the wrath of God. And you just read three verses that I read to you where it says, we shall not see the wrath of God. So that you can't have any doubt about this, see? The wrath of God. So the angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shall be, because thou hast judged thus. There's nothing unrighteous about God doing this. Perfectly righteous for him to do it as he looks down upon man. Those men who denied him, the ones who had received him as their own, they've escaped the wrath which is to come. This is a world that has denied him, denied his right, sovereign right, to be worshipped and to be received as Savior as the sovereign God, the sovereign Son, and the sovereign Holy Ghost. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, True and righteous, righteous are thy judgments. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. Praise God, I'm saved. Praise the Lord. Bad enough to lie some dines in Jones Beach and feel the heat of that sun. But I can't picture what this will be like to scorch men with fire and men were scorched with great heat now I understand up on the moon there are times it's up to 200 and something and that the temperature of the moon varies 40 degrees you know from one day to the next it goes up 40 it has a period of time according to the length of the lunar day praise the Lord for our astronauts I rejoice that they're up there but, beloved, this little scorching that they may get up there, they can put suits on to take care of them. But there'll be no escaping here. And men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God. Imagine, that. Eh? It shows you what kind of men he had to deal with. No crying for mercy. They hated him. They still hate him. In Revelation, it said, Let him that is filthy be filthy still. So they hated him. What do they do? The sun is evident it's God. The rivers have turned to blood. The seas have turned to blood. It's evident it's God. And yet they blaspheme him. And they blaspheme, notice, the name of God. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun. Power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which had power over these plagues. And they repented not to give him glory. You die that way, that's the way you are. Oh, there's going to be some saved in the great tribulation. 
12,000 out of each of the tribes of Israel, according to Revelation 7. And they're going to become great evangelists. And the world will be given, if I might say, a second chance. Amazing. But if they don't receive the mark of the beast upon their forehead or in their hand, they can neither buy nor sell nor get anything to eat. So they die anyway. And if you receive the mark of the beast, you don't belong to God. So if they're going to be saved in great tribulation during that period of time, when all of these things fall upon the earth, if they're going to be saved, it would have to be through martyrdom. They would have to say, I receive you. I've listened to the message of one of your Jewish evangelists, one who has found you a savior, one who's been redeemed, because the Jews will know it will be evident to them. This is the one that the Christians have been talking about. Suddenly all the Christians have gone and the Jewish Christians have gone with Eleanor Bullock. <laughs> members of the family what are they going to say they have to say this must be the messiah our own mother's gone our children are gone they've been caught up how do you think god takes 12,000 out of each of the tribes except that the jews receive you see and 12,000 out of each of the tribes 144,000 not jehovah's witnesses 144,000 Jews become flaming evangelists. Now, let me tell you, all we'd need would be 144,000 Hyman Appleman, and the world would turn upside down. This is what comes. They repented not. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain, and blasphemed again, third time in these few verses, twice blaspheming, once not repenting. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and again they repented not of their deeds. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared to march down toward Israel, where God would bring them all together and then bring his final, final culmination of judgment upon the nations. Aren't you glad you're going to miss that? Listen, that's nothing. Why don't you read all the judgments? I'm just taking 16, the vile judgment. Why don't you read the seal judgment, the trumpet judgment, seven in each? Seal, trumpet, vile. That's the order they come in in Revelation. STV, easy to remember, just alphabetically. Seals, trumpets, vile. Just read them when you go home, and then you'll get on your knees, or you'll have grace at your table like you never had it before, and you'll say, praise the Lord, I'm redeemed that I don't have to go through this. My beloved, do you really know Jesus this morning? This is what you're going to escape. If you don't know him, you should. 